Welcome to the Design Imposter Podcast, where we unravel the enigmatic realm of imposter syndrome. My name's Monique Jenkins. And I'm Jessica Vallis. We're two agency owners who've boldly faced the reality of imposter syndrome. We'll share relatable stories and practical insights that empower designers and business owners just like you. Together, we'll help you conquer self-doubt and unleash your true potential. Get ready to unveil your true brilliance. Welcome to Design Imposter. Welcome to another episode of the Design Imposter Podcast, where we delve into the intricate world of design and client relationships. Today, we're talking about a crucial subject for any designer, and it is recognizing when a project isn't going well and when a client might not be the right fit. So let's dive in. And just a disclaimer, I'm totally not trying to be a negative Nancy in this episode. My objective is to save you from the frustrations of potentially bad clients the type of clients who make you work late or excessive hours that are far beyond what your contract said, who nickel and dime you and question every detail of your work. So all that said, let's get started. So there are some early warning signs that you need to take note of when you first start working with a client. So let's talk about those early warning signs. It is crucial to identify these red flags before you get too deep into a project with someone. Of important note, do not let your desire to make money make you abandon your sense of reasoning when it comes to these red flags, because ultimately it will cost you more in the long run and it's just not worth it. I've been there once, twice, maybe three times, maybe five times, maybe six times. It is painful every time. So don't let this become a pattern. You learn and you move on. (laughs) Look, I did it. I did it. It was a headache and a nightmare from the very beginning. Um, But there was a point when you just started your business where you need money and, you know, you're just doing whatever you can. But when you don't clock the red flags that you need to, as Jessica said, you find yourself being overworked for not enough money. And that's always going to be a problem. So just be careful to note some things. All right. So what do you have for us, Monique? So for me, signal number one is if things are unclear or constantly changing. So a major red flag is when a client is unclear or constantly changing their goals, if they're finding it hard to give me a concrete brief, or if the goal pulse keeps moving, that's a sign that you are up for trouble. Have you worked with a client that did this to you before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I will say it was in my younger days when... Um, I didn't have a contract because I thought, hey, you know, you're just starting. I actually had a client ask me, why would I need to sign a contract with you? Like, you're going to do the work and I'm going to pay you. Um, and I was very <laughs> young, very naive. Uh, never do that again. Because um, some clients will be like, well, why do we need a contract? So that we both are held up to a standard. That's why. Um, but um, we, it was a, like a simple logo project. And then they were like, hey, actually, can you, you know, do the brand colors? Hey, actually, can you do this? Hey, actually, I don't like the design anymore. Can we change it? Can we move this? Can we scoot this over? Oh, I'm thinking about renaming my business. How much would it? Yeah. Hey, we're not doing that. Um, you need to make sure that you set the parameters of the work that you're actually going to be doing so that you don't get into a space where things are constantly moving or things are changing. If they don't know what they want, you can't tell them what they think they want. Yeah. Um, This is why it's so crucial to have a proposal and a contract, because when they sign off on the proposal, they see everything that's included. And I've mentioned before, mine are kind of a la carte. So 
if you see SEO services, but you don't click it, then you're not going to get SEO services. So when you come back and say, hey, can you do, um, fill in the metadata and the meta descriptions? I'm going to charge you and come back and say, hey, I'm going to just add this at the end of the invoice if this is what you're looking for. So you have to hold yourself accountable. And then you got to be able to put your foot down or, you know, just say, hey, I was just looking at the proposal and I don't think this was mentioned if you want to go really, really gentle. But Monique doesn't. I just realized, nope, <laughs> I ain't doing that. <laughs> we ain't talking about that and I ain't doing it. Um, and I also, I charge I charge a, a higher number for that. Hey, if you start adding changing, it's one and a half times my rate. And you already know my rate is 250. So one and a half times that, we had 375. So you don't want to be at those numbers. So we just want to stick to what we had in the beginning. Um, signal number two, um, is disrespecting your time or expertise. Another warning sign for me is a lack of respect for your time and your expertise. And this can manifest in unrealistic deadlines, questioning your professional judgment without basis, because there are sometimes when a client will question your judgment that specifically has to do with the project and that's fine. Um, or expecting for you to be, uh, available around the clock. They're emailing you at three, four o'clock in the morning, expecting changes to happen in a very quick turnaround time. Let's talk about this for a minute. You have to remember that these clients are coming to you because you are the expert, not them, you. And to have somebody question you every step of the way, oh my God, it's so stifling and it's annoying. You've You've always done this this way or we've always done it this way comes to mind. But if they've always done it, this way and it worked, why would they come to you in the first place? So to have them question, it's it's really annoying. Yeah. Um, but to say expecting around the clock availability, I do work with the church and um, sometimes they'll pay me on Sunday and be like, hey, can you just check to make sure this is up for the service? And I'll be like, yeah, I can do that. See, but that's but that's you agreeing. That's not yeah. like I've had a client email me at four o'clock in the morning, and then when I woke up at eight, be like, "Oh my god, it took you four hours to get back to me." Yes, because I'm sleeping because I'm human and I need rest. <laughs> like I don't understand what your expectation was, but you're not buying my time for twenty four hours. If you were, I charge you more. So that's not what we're doing here. Yeah, what you're buying is the eight hours that I'm committing to your specific project or however much time that is. Um, but there's something that you said that I want to tap back into um yes the client is coming to you because you're an expert and I get that there are some times where I think to myself um the client is the expert in their specific market and I'm willing to listen to their opinions but that doesn't mean that I want them to disrespect my expertise. If they always did something a specific way and that's how they want to do it, I told them that's fine. However, I'm not going to be held accountable if it doesn't work. You're going to be held accountable because you're telling me that you don't want to change and optimize it in the way that you are telling me that you need. So if you came to me and you say, hey, my form isn't working and I want you to refine this form and we do the user testing, we figure it out, we get it all together. And then you say, you know, actually... I want you to change it back to what it was. That's fine. I will make it look nicer than what it was before, but I'm not going to be held accountable for the results that you're not going to get because you asked me to change it back. We can always revert back to the version that I worked on, but I'm going to charge you because now we're doing this over again. Yeah. So it's fine if they want to do it their way because I've had clients sometimes that just said like, nope, I know this for a fact. And they very well, 
well might want to just put that fact out there in the world and test it for themselves. And when they see that it's not working, they'll come back and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Sometimes they need that reality check to understand that your expertise really is bad, um, is best. Or sometimes you'll learn, hey, that orange button actually does work. And you really thought that it wouldn't. But here you are, Monique. And now you have an orange button on an all red page, which is cool. So, yeah. (laughs) And um, this is another, if you refer back to the previous episode about niche, this will definitely help you along the way because you'll know these things and you won't have these back and forth. But, um, or maybe it's a a nice conversation to have. Um, But you won't have people, well, we've always done it this way and there's nothing to back it up. Like you said, it's not just, they're not listening to me. I said this. It's a matter of, We've been doing this. We know that these colors work. I can't find statistics that say that their colors work or whatever. I mean, we always talk about Mm -hmm. branding is not your logo or your color. So this is just a generalization. Um, Next is communication breakdown. So effective communication is key in any client designer relationship. So let's look at some signals that communication isn't working as it should be. First sign for me is a lack of responsiveness. If a client is consistently slow in responding, ignores you and your concerns, it can derail the project and create unnecessary stress. Let's provide, I'm going to provide you with a client example that we've had before because this one, something that happens a lot with clients. We've crafted the initial design. We've gotten sign off. We're ready to begin development, but we don't have any content. So we start development without the content. And when the client does actually provide it, it is six times as long as you thought it was going to be, or it isn't what you thought it was going to be completely. And they've restructured things. So, um, or potentially the client isn't reaching back out to you at all and providing you with content. So a project that you thought was going to end on the 1st is now going to end on the 31st. Those are things that, you know, you need to take into consideration um, as far as working with a client is I do charge clients for a lack of responsiveness. I think something in my contract says, if I wait seven days and I don't have a response for you, I am going to stop working on your project, but I'm also going to start billing you hourly because now this project is extending beyond the deadline in the initial contract that we both set for. Yeah, I always send timelines to my clients uh, that they agree on in the proposal process. It creates accountability for both me and the client. If the timeline doesn't work, we adjust it before any contracts been signed or money has been exchanged. And the point of it is to keep like a three-month project from becoming a 10-month project because this client couldn't provide you with the copy you needed during the first month, like you said. Um, something that just derailed a, a recent project was the client was supposed to send in content and it just wasn't there. So here we are two months later. Um, but granted, timelines change and there can be flexibility as long as you communicate with your client and vice versa. But you have to set limitations. Right now, I am breaking my own rule because uh, I've pushed back several projects this month. Uh, and I feel like absolute garbage because of it. Uh, because I'm always so keen to meet my deadlines. But to be fair, I had COVID and two family members passed away back to back. And this is a very extreme case and not because I don't have my shit together. Like, <laughs> you know, there is a time and a place and an exception. So I think we even had a client one time that um, they were ready to launch and our developer 
he had a, his father passed away or something. And we're like, yes. yeah, we have to delay this because of this. And he had COVID. Mm-hmm. And so there are extreme situations. Yeah, there, there are certainly exceptions to the rule. Just don't let the exceptions become the rule because then you'll be in a lot of trouble. Um, not for your own safety and sanity. Um, I try to stick to client deadlines as much as humanly possible and feasible. Um, life happens, so. On the flip side, a client who micromanages every detail or inundates you with excessive communication can be just as challenging, stifling to your creativity and efficiency. One of my very first logo clients was guilty of this. I'd show him a design and he'd want me to, you know, just move this over a little bit, resize this, make it bigger, do that. It was way too much. And this $500, I could, it was $500 because was one of my very first logo clients. I was like, damn. I just built them a $5,000 logo because of all this time <laughs> scooching things around. So it was like I became a Fiverr employee <laughs> instead of being treated like a designer. Yeah. Famous last words, make it pop. Uh, hate those words that come from clients. Just make it pop a little bit more. Um, yes. Um, you don't want to be working with a client who doesn't trust your expertise enough that they are micromanaging you. Um and I know that rebuilding a website is a big financial commitment and it's also a lot of like time and labor, but they have to trust in your skill. They picked you for a reason and they have to be able to relinquish control of some aspects. They're not relinquishing control of their business, but just over this part. And you have to always, you know, check in with them and make sure that they understand the design direction that you're going in. But there needs to be a little bit of give and take as far as like being overbearing or micromanaging. Earlier, I said that the inundation of excessive communication can be challenging. And something that comes to mind with this is when you receive a thousand clients with revisions to the same content. And maybe you ask, please place all revisions in this folder. And instead of putting them in the folder, they email you a bunch of times. And every every time they email you, it's either sometimes they forget they sent it or it's the same content. It's the same content with a minor tweak. This takes up a lot of our time trying to discern which version it is that we're supposed yes. to use. And then having to email multiple team members because people weren't copied or the team that team member that wasn't copied coming back and saying, uh, <laughs> where was this image? I thought I wanted this image. And then you're like, now I got to go dig through emails where they said, actually don't use this. Image. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you want to make sure that their team is all together and on the same yeah. page. Nothing grinds my gears more than that. At, digging through Gmail to figure out where something was said, my worst nightmare. Okay. I don't remember the conversation. I don't want to do this with you. I hate it a lot. Um, but sometimes you have to, uh, but again, content should happen inside of a Google Doc where everything can be tracked as it's changed. Everyone has access to this document. Everyone can approve or disagree or whatever the case is. Um, specifically on the client side, if there are 10 people who need to approve content before it goes to a website, I don't need to be a part of that conversation. I just need to know what the final content is. So I can put it in the site. And that's it. I don't necessarily need like you know, four or five different departments coming to me asking me to tweak things, that's not helpful for me. Um, It's helpful for me to have final content once it's gone through whatever approval process it needs to go to. Oh, yeah. It's very frustrating when you've got five different departments that 
they're all responsible for their stuff. And then yes. when you're putting it up on the website and your point person who said work, you know, work with these departments to get their content and was like, well, I didn't improve this content. And you're like, well, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Sorry, we're Jindic guys. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I didn't mean to sound like a, a negative fancy. It's just, you know. I do. <laughs> it's things that don't have happened. It's things that have happened along the way. Yeah, don't come to me with your weird content. Give me final content. Um, you can change it after the website launches. That's not that's not my business. Um, so uh, number three, or segment three in this series, is going to be talking about money. So financial issues can be a clear indicator of a bad client relationship. And the first signal for me is haggling over agreed prices. Be very wary of clients who try to renegotiate the price after the contract is signed or who, who consistently question every single charge. Um, I will say that I tend to find that clients who don't have a big budget um, are people who do this. So they are making a very large investment into their business or their brand. It's the first time they're doing so. And they're trying to make sure that every single, every single penny works for them. But as a designer, it can be incredibly stressful to have to itemize every single thing that you have ever done with this client um, in order to make sure that they understand how you're billing them. Another example is when a client says, I don't know what the budget is or I don't have a budget. Um, everyone knows how much they're willing to pay or how much they're willing to spend. So they need to think it through. Whenever a client comes to me and says, I have no idea what I want to what I would want to pay, I'd be like, Are you willing to pay a million dollars? And that's a very serious question because that's an outrageous number. So if you're if you came to me and you said, I have no, I hey, can you redesign these 50 pages? And I say it's gonna be a million dollars. In that conversation, before I do any due diligence or work on my part, I say, Hey, this is gonna be at least a million dollars. And you say, oh, that's that's a crazy number. I didn't expect to spend more than 200000 Then 200000 is the number. So like those examples of giving a client sometimes an extreme example, like a million dollars, will get them to seriously think about what they're actually asking for. And then you can say, hey, 50 pages for $200,000 is not enough money. It doesn't equate with all of the work that needs to be done. Or these are the services that we can actually provide you for that number. It isn't necessarily sometimes about being able to provide them with a holistic experience based on the number that they give you. So let's say $10,000 because 10000 is much more manageable. If someone came to me and they said, hey, I have this website. It's 50 pages. I want it to be redesigned for $10,000. I can tell them that that's not going to happen off, off the gate. What I can tell them is, hey, we can do, you know, five pages for that $10,000 um, and then we can work on the other pages later or we can templatize, create the template and you can go in and add the content and all of that other stuff later. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that number means that they get the whole gambit. Sometimes you just have to tell them that's not possible with the budget that they've provided you. Yeah. Never do more for less. If your standard package is $5,000 and they only have a budget of $2,000, then either one, they're not the right client or two, you need to reduce your product offering um, to meet them at that budget. If you say the service is $100, it's $100. Don't charge $25 just to meet their expectation because you know that quick design job that was just supposed to be oh, $100 for a t-shirt, it's going to end up costing you 
$300 because they want you to work for every single dollar and they don't understand the value that you're bringing. We've said this before. I've got a master's, you know, you're paying for the expertise that goes behind it too, not just the hourly rate, not $1 an hour, you know? Yes. Uh, I heard it. I think uh, my friend Davia said this. She was like, they're not paying for this one moment. They're paying for the 20 years it took you to do this in 10 minutes versus 30 hours that it takes another person. And sometimes you're paying for the expertise of a person. So you're paying to get things done quickly and efficiently within whatever designated time frame that you and the de- designer have come up with um, because they can do it more effectively than yourself. And you just have to remember that, that, you know, effective design costs money. What's the next sign, money? Uh, next is delayed or missed payments. And this is a serious concern. It is important to establish a clear payment schedule and terms from the start and stick with them. I will say I don't have this problem uh, in my business because I collect the total amount of the contract payment before any work starts. So if it's $100,000 until that $100,000 hits my bank account, I do not start work on the project. I don't split up the payments where, you know, it's, you know, 50% up front. 25% 25% at the 75 mark, another 25% when the finalized assets. I don't do that. So whatever the uh, invoice amount is, I expect the payment in full before we even get started on the project. And I don't have a problem with that for my clients. Um, but I will say that I know people who split their payment amount 25, 25, 25, 25, 50, 50, 50, 25, 25, whatever the case may be. Um, but if you're going to do something like that, you really do need to make sure that, that information is listed out in your contract. Um, and if a client can't hit or meet those numbers anymore, then you have to figure out how to pivot, how to stop work, not provide them with final assets until you get to the place where you need to go. Because I've had friends who have been in that situation, presented the ideas and designs over to the client, and then had that client completely ghost them. And then seeing the client website change in three or four or five weeks later with the design that they initially provided to the client before they got the final payment. And then having to go through the legality of suing, you know, a client or trying to get your um, revenue in another way. Yeah, this is another part of the timeline expectations. Um, When I put out my proposals, it's more than just project start, project end. It's project start, first look, second look, revisions, approval, launch, you know, and maybe a couple other like timelines in between then but at the bottom it has the um the pricing and it also has the pricing schedule so it'll say you know 50 percent up front 25 due at the first look 25 percent due before the site launches so the money needs to be in hand before anything goes live and by the first look you know like i've already done a lot of work but i haven't done the majority of it at that part, because normally for the first look, I've only designed a couple pages. I haven't put my blood, sweat, sweat and tears into it um, because I want approval on everything. Um, but that's another reason why it's really important to define those timelines. Um, but I do have retainer clients who send their monthly invoices to their billing department. And some days they're like a day or two late and they always apologize profusely. But when you've been working with them for three years, I just reassure them. I'm like, I know you're good for it. I know where your office is. Uh, The worst thing, though, is when a client mails you a check. And you're just left in the dark, like, 
When is it arriving? Have they sent it? Is it like taking five to seven business days to clear? Or once you deposit it, I hate checks. I hate checks. I would so rather she- take a 2% cut from PayPal and deal with the check. <laughs> uh, yeah, BT does. Uh, PayPal does charge you a fee for all the client money you get when you're just saying. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, checks are the worst because uh, you never know where you're going to get them. But there are some businesses, larger entities um, that I have had friends work at, that I have worked at, that do like, you know, a 30-day net pay, 60-day net pay, 90-day net pay, which means that they don't pay you until 90 days after the project is actually complete. Those institutions are humongous. Um, and going through a payment system with them is absolutely horrible. But you know that they're good for the money. So if it was Google, it isn't going to be fun if they put you on 180-day pay, which means they're not going to pay you until 180 days after the project is sorted. Um, But they will pay you. Uh, You have to stay on top of them just like you have to stay on top of your, you know, small local business as well. They will eventually get you your money. But even companies that are as big as that do, you know, sometimes lag on their payment sometimes. Uh, So you just have to be mindful and you have to be diligent about keeping receipts and invoices and things like that and and reinforce that payment is expected. Yeah. The other thing, too, with using a good CRM is that it'll send reminders automatically. So I have it set that two days before payments due, it sends a reminder. The day payments due, it sends a reminder. And then two days later, it does. And then if I go into my CRM, like maybe once or twice a week, and then I go through and if I see, oh, they actually lapsed by like five or seven days, then I'm going to send them another email. Um, actually, in reverse of all this, I had a client email me and say, hey, Jessica, can you send me the invoice? Because I don't think I got it this month. And I was like, I was like, OK. <laughs> I was That's like, my favorite client. Yeah, I did. Ch- I checked my my outbox and it did send. So it probably got lost. But I was like, oh, my gosh, it's the best client. <laughs> Gonna be my favorite. I see. I see you going for cl- <laughs> you bringing the teacher an apple. I like it. You're really doing something now. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just a, it set expectations in your contract. Get your clients to sign a contract. Reputable clients are fine with signing a contract because they intend to um, hold up their end of the bargain. People who are not interested in signing a contract just make me a little bit weary. Um, because you never know what could happen. And you can't say you're good for it. You can't say, oh, I know you. I know your mom. I know. Da, 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 da. That's irrelevant. This is a business. You have to treat it as such. Yeah. And don't be giving out like family and friend discount. There's no such if thing. If they're asking, oh, well, do, ha, 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 do you have a family and friend discount? No, I do not. Because I have There's, I have real clients. <laughs> you know, this is not just a family fun project I'm doing. Yeah, there's no such thing in my world. Um, I will say, uh, someone said this to me before, and I was like, oh, that really does make sense. They were like, your friends and family know you. They know your work ethic. They know your value. They know everything about you. They know your degrees. They know all of this stuff. So they should be willing to pay more than a client who knows absolutely nothing about you. So I might change my mom, like, you know, an extra 50 or $100 for an invitation to, I don't know, her church program. And... um she she would pay it because she believes in me. Uh, now, would I actually charge her? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It depends on the day. Um, I'd probably take free babysitting. Uh, but the people who know you should be willing to pay for your services. And it should be easy for them to believe in you and believe in your dreams and help to you know facilitate sales for your business because they know you. So 
I don't offer a friends and family discount. There's no such thing in my world. Uh, so don't come and ask me because I'm not the one. Anywho, uh, I'm going to wrap this up. <laughs> I mean, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, in conclusion, uh, we want to say that recognizing these signs early can save you from a lot of headaches. And I mean a lot of headaches. It is important to trust your instincts and remember that not every client is the right fit for you. So you don't need to sign every single client that comes to your door. And don't be afraid to walk away. If you see red flags, walk away. It will save you a headache later. Um, and you should save yourself as many headaches as humanly possible because you'll have headaches during a project. Yeah, remember. No matter what the budget is. Yeah, remember, if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. And this is true for any situation. Relationships. Uh, should I paint the room this color? If if your gut is saying no, don't do it. Bend, don't bend yourself backward to accommodate every inquiry just to make a sale. Because like we said, at the end of the day, that sale, that profit could turn into a loss. Yes. And that's a real shame at the end of the day. If a profit turns into a loss, that's not great. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Design Imposter Podcast. Join us next time for more insights into the world of design. Bye. As we wrap up our captivating journey on today's episode of Design Imposter, we want to leave you with an empowering message. Self-doubt may be a universal experience, but it should never define your worth or potential. Embrace the power of your unique voice, trust in your intuition and abilities, and continue creating fearlessly. Remember, you belong in this space and your contributions are immensely valuable. Know that you are never alone on this journey. We stand by your side, ready to support and celebrate you and your business every step of the way. Thank you for joining us today and being an essential part of the Design Imposter community. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us at Design Imposter Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and leave a review to help other imposters find us. Until we meet again, keep those headphones ready.